You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You For Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here is your host, Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. Thank you for logging on to Thank You For Your Servers. I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. You can follow me on Twitter at Nick Way, and I am proudly broadcasting for the Make Liberty Great Again podcast network. This is Thank You For Your Servers. This is a libertarian take on the tech news of the day. So I have like three topics I want to go over today. And the first topic is definitely, definitely something that I kind of find real, real interesting. And that is the 5G deployments that are starting nationwide. So AT&T on uh, the other day just lit up seven cities for its 5G network. It won't actually have a phone on that network until the spring, but they are proud to say that they have definitely lit up five cities or seven cities. So it's Austin, Texas, Los Angeles, California, San Diego, San Francisco, San he- San Jose, Nashville, and Orlando. And this adds to the 12 trial cities that they started with. So this is kind of a big deal for, for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, in less than a decade after the... Well, I can really considered the full deployment of LTE. We are now um, seeing the carriers deploy this next generation wireless technology. Some of it's hype. Some of it's actually the next evolution of what needs to be done. Uh, This could enable all kinds of applications for uh, IoT, i.e. Internet of Things, true low latency applications, and definitely could in the future maybe serve as a last mile alternative than digging up fiber or, you know, dealing with the incumbent uh, telecommunications companies and cable companies. From a technical standpoint, why I find this very, very interesting is because having worked in the RF world for a while, particularly in satellites, I am very interested in how they deploy this because 5G, and not to get terribly technical about it, but 5G kind of falls within the realm of like four or five frequency bands. Um, There's the uh, very, very sub gigahertz frequency bands, and that's what T-Mobile's going to deploy, like 700 megahertz, 800 megahertz spectrum. Uh, the advantage of that is the fact that it does travel and or what we like to call propagate a little further than the other bands. Um, it is less susceptible to interference in the form of multipath, i.e. it bounces off of buildings, bounces through windows, does things. It actually penetrates buildings a little bit better. Then there's, of course, the one to six gigahertz or range, which is basically the conventional cell phone ranges for some of the carriers. And then we have the above six gigahertz ranges, which gets a little bit more problematic, but at the same time, again, it still allows for the, the ability to go further distances and uh, definitely spectral bandwidth is the key here. With the lower bands, you're going to get less spectral bandwidth, so hence you're not going to get the gigabit speeds over the air. But with this uh, stuff above 6 gigahertz, you're going to. But in a couple of the cities that they've deployed this in, most importantly, like the recent trial from Verizon, who kind of got the jump on everybody last week, by or the week before last by releasing in uh in the uh, in uh, minnesota i think so minneapolis minnesota and in chicago is they're using what we like to call millimeter wave so millimeter wave is like 26 gigahertz to like 71 gigahertz 
and my experience in dealing with this, because this is in the kind of above KA, KU band, doesn't propagate very far, uh, susceptible to all kinds of interference from droplets of fog to trees to wherever. And reading this Verge article, what I found and what they found and what I suspected was you get out of range of these antennas, you step inside the door while visually looking at the antenna and the speeds of 450 megabits to you know almost 800 megabits a second you're getting on your mobile device doesn't really work very well. So from a technical standpoint, I'm increasingly interested to see how they get over these technical hurdles. Um, there's It's a tougher physics and engineering problem, um, not to mention the regulatory problem that they're dealing with. So I'm just curious to see it happen. Exciting from my standpoint, not to geek out too much on that, not to dwell too much on that, but definitely a big deal now because the carriers are actually going to start to deploy these things in these uh, deploy these things in the real world. There'll be phones coming out here soon. The Verizon test required uh, the Motorola Z3 with some 5G millimeter wave attachment to the phone. Uh, the S10 from Samsung will be released in the coming weeks, maybe months. We'll have to see in field tests how this actually really, really applies. And so that said, man, let's move on to the next topic. Facebook's regulatory play. This one irks me a bit. And it irks me a bit for a couple of reasons. Well, one, let's kind of break down what I mean by Facebook's regulatory play. This is coming from a, you know, a Time Magazine article. Facing potential existential crises in the spread of targeted misinformation, hate speech, and violent content on Facebook, the company's executives have in recent days been calling for new and wide-ranging rules to govern social media companies. To quote Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, if you didn't know, I believe we need new regulation. That's what he said in his op-ed that he penned in uh, the Washington Post on March 30th. People shouldn't have to rely on individual companies addressing these issues by themselves. So my take on this would be, well, my first take on it is obviously this is gross and this is disgusting, um, but it to a lesser to a certain extent it it was inevitable and here's I'll explain this so what we're seeing right now is the anatomy of regulatory capture uh, a maturing industry with just wants to bring in the ire of state intervention because of a really a couple of reasons well not even a couple of reasons a, a motley crew of reasons you have the left jumping on them at every every turn for content that they find objectionable um, hence, if you re if you uh, understood the first sentence I read from this op-ed here, uh, from this not this op-ed, but from this Time magazine piece, the premise of it is already that you know misinformation, hate speech, and violent content on Facebook. Um, there is this cadre of people, particularly in the leftist tech press, but the leftist press in general, that want Facebook to police speech they find objectionable, which is why we have the shadow bannings and the zucking, but. Then you have the right yelling and, you know, bitching and complaining that they're being suppressed and they're, you know, calling for the state regulation, which, you know, again, conservatism in the modern age to quote the great Michael Malice. Conservatism is just progressivism driving the speed limit. And then you have all these social justice warrior types that are getting upset, the tech press, the press and thought leaders being all in that uh, group. And then you have 
interest groups that always come in there and are complaining about this, the, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center, um, uh, the extortion arm of the liberal progressive left. And then you have like, you know, the government, government in particular, we're talking about Europe. We're talking about, um, you know, Myanmar. We're talking about China. We're talking about, you know, all kinds of India. We're talking about all places around the world wanting to regulate because, you know, safety and stuff. And we don't want to spread misinformation. We don't want to spread misinformation that might actually be detrimental to government power. Um, I think with all those people, with all their grievances, beating on this one company, right? You know, because Facebook has taken a black eye for the past two years on this. Zuck, is simply, Zuck simply wants regulation because he, he, he doesn't want to really have to figure this out. But he maybe should have thought of that when he started to get into the moderation business. And he hired all these, you know, they, they have tens of thousands of moderators globally that's moderating this content, trying to appease each of these little groups of people, special interests, tugging at them. And so Zuck is simply saying, for lack of a better word, F this. All right, tell us what you want to do. So I can then, A, know the rules of the road and what I can pull and then hide behind that. We don't want to be the arbiters of free speech because from a cultural standpoint, we're, we've so weakened what it means for free speech because of our oh, heavy handedly moder moderate, our heavy handedness in moderation. The EU is jumping on them every 10 seconds about something. The EU are just a bunch of socialists and they'll find any American company that they, they want because they generally, they generally hate American capitalism and Americans' entrepreneurship and everything. And they're just mad because they don't have a Facebook. But you're dealing with that. I think they just want to not have to deal with the technical aspect of trying to moderate speech on a platform of 1.2 billion people or entities. And they're just... They need the rules of the road so because their machine learning algorithms aren't working and they're fairly arbitrary. Their moderators are, I mean, for lack of a better word, uh, just basically human beings and hence bias. And they just want an easier way to do that. It'll cut their costs. It'll make their costs for moderation, moderating this content predictable. And, you know, at the back of their minds they are like, yeah, and it keeps upstarts from, you know, jumping into the fray. And so this, this is going to get uglier before it gets better because we are not going to get the alternatives we want. There are technical aspects of that reasons as to why if you've ever, if you're following the saga of Gab, love or hate them, they're dealing with a lot of technical issues that are being imposed on them simply because they are a platform that does have a lot of, you know, hate speech. I even hate to use the word. But they're finding it very, very hard from a technical standpoint to even, you know, find servers or, 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 or uh, cloud instances to even run their platform. The, the, just recently, the center ran into the uh, running into the same issue now. And that was their kind of workaround because Gab was finding it very, very difficult to get into app stores. Um, Gab, if you don't know, was a more of a Twitter competitor than a Facebook competitor. But it was another social media network. And it's where the dregs of the internet society went because you know when you suppress speech in the open that speech kind of goes underground and festers and this is what's happening um this is regulatory capture in its beginning stages this is backdoor net neutrality as far as i'm concerned right net neutrality was i i, I found was never really about the technical reasons why net neutrality should be enshrined into law i found that 
questionable. What it should have been is it should have been a definite look at the edge providers. And these edge providers are like Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Actually, actually, through their moderation mechanisms and algorithms, do stifle certain types of traffic. That traffic in the form of speech, those bits aren't wanted on these platforms. So isn't this just backdoor net, net, net neutrality? I mean, it's going to stifle competition. It's going to cement incumbents. And it's going to start to choke off internet freedom. Because what do you think? Where do you think when it comes to the rules of the road that Facebook will help the government write? What is the lowest common denominator when it comes to regulatory, when it comes to internet freedom and like regulatory control? They're going to go with the EU standards. They're going to harmonize those with potential future Chinese standards. And they're going to harmonize those with the social justice left here that wants to suppress anything right of Chairman Mao. When it comes to when it comes to ideology, when it comes to you know, so, uh, cultural things, that will happen. And that will be enshrined in law. And any platform that comes forward to be an alternative in a space for people to say things that are uncomfortable, disgusting, revulsive, but sometimes need to be said, are going to find a hard time and they're going to have the full arm of the law at them, turned against them. This is bad. We need alternatives, but it's going to be an uphill battle with those alternatives because now it's going to be much, much more expensive for an upstart to come and disrupt. This kills disruption, at least in this space. This kills disruption like it's killed disruption in every other industry. Right. Internet from Internet service providers to oil companies to medical, you know, pharmaceutical companies to, you know, you name the industry. And any time the government has been asked to pick a winner and to pick a loser or for that matter, to enshrine in law what the incumbents want. Competition is stifled, uh, stifled and we get AT&T. Just something to think about when it comes to that. So I want to move on to the third topic, the one I am most excited about for a couple of reasons, and that is tech IPOs galore. It's, you know what I'm saying? It feels like it's 1999, baby. So there's a plethora of tech IPOs that are going to be uh, coming to market this year. Um, this is very reminiscent of the late 90s. Lyft, which has already gone public, it started, uh, it went public on the 29th of March at 78. It's currently trading at 60, in the mid 60s now. But, you know, that created multimillionaires and multimillionaires. And as time goes on, those guys will become billionaires. You have Uber which is basically the world's preeminent ride-sharing company. Love them or hate them. They're going to go big. They're going to go public here probably this summer. Pinterest, which is the uh, image search and sharing app, uh, which is a dream partner sh- uh, a dream partner for many online retailers and fashion brands. I mean, I, I like the pretty pictures. Um, that'll be going public this year. Slack, this is basically, w- which we're all familiar with here, uh, the workplace messaging and collaboration app. That'll be going public this year. Zoom, the video conferencing software app, which is actually profitable. <laughs> That'll be going, you know, public this year. You have Airbnb, uh, the nim- nimble, profitable, you know, room sharing, uh, room listing platform sp- for spaces. Um, then you also have, I think, WeWork is working on stuff. Um, there's rumors that um, the very, uh, what is it? I, th- I forgot the name of the company. It's a Peter Thiel company. Plantineer, I guess, is the name of it. I mean, it's a very secretive kind of company that does these 
does a lot of kind of data analytics, machine learning for government sponsors and stuff like that. This is the culmination of a tech boom of, of really the tech boom of the last really 10 years. Uh, a lot of these companies were billion dollar companies in the, in the private sphere, i.e. they consider these unicorns in venture capital talk. Um, this is further sign of a booming economy. And I think honestly, truly the beginning of the end of this tech bubble. We're going to get to the end of these guys. Most of these guys aren't really profitable. Some are, some aren't. I mean, Uber and Lyft are not profitable. They're just big. I think they'll ultimately survive. I think Pinterest will be small and what it will be small, but it will be big. But these are the companies that will probably stick around for the foreseeable future. And these are the cadre of companies that have survived in their spaces that have now graduated to IPO status. But anyway, so this basically means like this is a new like global elite will emerge from these, right? The names of, uh, of the heads of these companies will become household names going forward. The, the, the new generation of Zuckerbergs and Bezoses and, and, and uh, what is, uh, and Jacks of the world, right? What's that? Jack Dorsey's of the world. And I, I think once we get through this tech bubble and we subsequently then burst, I think we're, we're moving into this next fourth industrial age and fourth industrial revolution. Um, because with the information that these companies are going to be producing, the, the you know the the global reach and stuff like that, internet as a you know uh, internet of things, I think uh, machine learning, not necessarily AI, AI machine learning, you know AI shit is the broader term. Machine learning is actually where the innovation is going to happen on the edges with all these companies producing data and customers and revenue. I think we're we're moving on to the next generation and. Uh, it's it's actually very very exciting um you know it feels like 1999 all over again but for those of us who are old enough to know uh what happened in 1999 <laughs> was the pinnacle of the tech ipo boom what happened in 2000 was um a massacre and it but it also brought us uh, that tech uh, crash is what brought us is what brought us the next generation of tech companies that's your twitters that's your facebooks um, and, and really that's your, your Snapchats for, for, you know, for better or for worse. And this is basically the second wave and final wave of that. That's your Airbnbs and your Ubers and your Pinterests and a, a, let's say a cadre of other companies are going to be coming online. And, uh, I'm for one excited. I like people getting rich. I don't hate on those folks. Okay. So let's, let's wrap it up but with something that I found very, very interesting the other day. And that is basically the tech press is falling out of love with Amazon. There have been two, at least I've read, I think I actually read a couple more hit pieces on Amazon this couple this, this last couple of weeks that I've been reading. One from Gizmodo, take that with a grain of salt, and there's one from Engadget. And basically, the one about Gizmo, from Gizmodo is basically like Amazon is aggressively pursuing big oil as it stalls out on clean energy. So basically... Um, Amazon is announcing, uh, it's a, Amazon isn't, when it built out its warehouses and builds out its data centers, isn't building them um, with clean energy, isn't building all of them with clean energy in mind. Um, over the last two years, as Amazon's clean energy promises have stalled out, Earth's most consumer-centric company has aggressively courted the fossil fuel industry, landing deals and partnerships with companies like BP, Shell, Halliburton, offering data Data-based 
services such as machine learning for enhanced exploration, Internet of Things enabled oil field automation, and remote site data transportation. This is their goddamn job. This is what data, this is what big data is going to enable in the future. And if it wasn't, and, and, and the extraction industry is going to be around for the rest of our lives. Let me, let me, let me break that down to all these social justice leftists that work for Silicon Valley. The extraction industries are going to be around for the rest of our lives. They're not going anywhere. And it is a huge global industry. And they, more than any other industry, are going to require Internet of Things. Because if I could break down like the automation and the technological juggernaut that is most oil and energy companies in this world. When it comes to detection and sensors and gathering that data and using that data to do trend lines on maintenance on platforms, maintenance at oil wells, you know, maintenance in upstream operations, all the plastics you have on the on, on the very iPad that, or iPad or iPhone or Apple device that you use to type this hit piece, all that requires big oil and extraction industries. And they need data. 5G, they're going to need because they're going to need these Internet of Things devices that they have at all these extraction sites to pull in data and to do real R&D to actually, actually find more, not only cheaper ways, but ecological ways of extracting this out of the ground because fossil fuels aren't going anywhere. And of course, they're mad because not only are they not building data centers with all this new what is it called? Lead certification and they're super clean and they have all this, you know, they use solar panels and, you know, windmills and all that other nonsense. Not understanding that all those technologies require some sort of extraction um, or at least an extraction industry that will need to build the rare earth metals for the solar panels and the turbines and all the other nonsense. Yeah, Amazon is a massive company. And, it, and, it, and it's not going to be able to run that massive company to deliver the cheap stuff that you get on Prime to you without using fossil fuels and without building these data centers and warehouses at scale that are going to require all this other nonsense that you think you want and need. The other story that I read was all these employees within Amazon calling on the company to adapt, you know, this very aggressive climate change plan. You need to stop doing business with oil companies. You need to stop building your data centers that aren't green. You know, I have all these employees, sign, I think a total of 3,541 employees publishing some open letter that it release a company-wide climate change plan uh, meeting these terms. And the terms of this letter, I, I read bits and pieces of it, are um, nonsensical, right? These are staffers working in, you know, beautiful office buildings in Seattle and stuff like that, not understanding like warehouse operations and stuff like that. So, so the workers called for a complete end to the use of fossil fuels, not just carbon offsets. They, st they still leave, la those still leave lasting uh, effects such as diesel pollution for delivery vans. Employees also demanded a halt to all solutions designed for the fossil fuel industry, such as the AWS for oil and gas initiative that drew criticism earlier this week. That's the Gizmodo uh, 
hit piece I read. Further, the staff wants any goals to be consi consistent with the IPC's climate change report, that report that has been thoroughly ripped apart and slightly debunked as crap. With, uh, we say they want them to do emissions cuts uh, in half by 2030 and reduce to zero by 2050. Amazon also uh, is also being asked to press for environmentally friend friendly political policies and would have to treat staff fairly if climate change led to disruption. So you want to destroy the very this is this is why when I read things like that from these very I'm trying to say this without using a vulgar language. You sit in these ivory towers. And you sit in these areas developing these technologies from AWS to the you know to the you know, the machine learning of the logistics system and stuff. And you demand that this company, this company that is providing you with a living, do these things that are going to be you you yourself based on this this letter are going to be disruptive to Amazon workers. And then you have the nerve to tell that company when it Im implements these very disruptive policies that are going to put thousands and tens of thousands of people out of work that they do something about that. The tech press is retarded. They don't understand the world. They see the world as what they want it to be and not understanding what it actually is. On the one hand, they want them to stop doing business with these oil and gas companies, the extraction industries in general, which indirectly supports the very means for which they can sit in these glass towers and type up this letter demanding their company do X. If I were Jeff Bezos, I would stop, you know, I would stop sending penis pics to my mistress. I would go back and I would fire every last person on that damn letter. Because there's, there's 3,500 people waiting outside ready and willing to work for Amazon to make them, to, to make the company better. Instead of mealy mouth and whining about what the company does for a living. Sometimes you don't get to choose who you work for. And maybe the person you work for, the company you work for doesn't exactly share your values. But you can't just demand that that company do things that are going to, you, you yourself said are going to be disruptive, that are going to affect their bottom line, and by extension will affect the bottom line of everyone who signed that letter and the people downstream who work at these data centers, who work at these warehouses, and then demand that the company ease their pain if they acquiesce to your crazy demands. Do you understand that your benefits are going to get cut? Do you understand that, like, you will make the world a worse place if Amazon can't use diesel trucks or logistics. They don't even understand the full logistics of what Amazon does. The U.S. Postal Service delivers a bulk of the last mile stuff for Amazon. Are you going to tell the government agency, or the quasi-government agency, as my wife is always apt to correct me because she works for the Postal Service. You're going to tell this quasi-government agency to like stop, stop delivering Amazon stuff? Amazon has done more good, just like Microsoft, just like Google, just like Facebook, has done more good for the world than all these people who would dare sit here and yell and bitch and complain about Amazon and Google and whatever. It's just the tech press falling out of love because the company's gotten too big or falling out of love because the company doesn't necessarily share their progressive values. These people need to grow up, have kids and like get a life. And this is, you know, and this is why I, I, I find I found those two articles juxtapositioned against each other to be very, very interesting because it's like they don't know. <laughs> it's like they really don't know and they don't get it. And I don't know. I, for one, I'm kind of sick of it. Yeah, but that's just me ranting and raving as I wrap things up here for thank you for your servers. 
you guys can now log off. Again, this is Thaddeus Preston, aka Nick Way. You can follow me on Twitter at Nick Way. That's N-I-C-K-W-A-Y-E. And um, that's enough of my ranting. I'm going to cut this off. Later, fam. Peace.